You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of American Sniper. Let me ask you a question, Chris. Would you be surprised if I told you that the Navy has credited you with over 160 kills? Do you ever think that you might have seen things or done some things over there that you wish you hadn't? Oh, that's not me, no. What's not you? I don't tell you enough. I'm so proud of you. You're such a great father. So you're not worried about what might happen? I'm willing to meet my creator and ask for every shot that I took. Don't pick it up. Drop it. So what are you, in Germany or where? Well, I'm stateside. You're home? What, what are you doing? I guess I just needed a minute. Thing that haunts me are all the guys that I couldn't save. Hey! Tend to my daughter, please, right now! I'm ready. Oh my god! I'm ready to come home. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for American Sniper, and the story is as follows. U.S. Navy SEAL Chris Kyle takes his sole mission, protect his comrades to heart, and becomes one of the most lethal snipers in American history. His pinpoint accuracy not only saves countless lives, but also makes him a prime target of insurgents. Despite grave danger and his struggle to be a good husband and father to his family back in the States, Kyle serves four tours of duty in Iraq. However, when he finally returns home, he finds that he cannot leave the war behind. The film is starring Bradley Cooper and Sienna Miller. It is directed by Clint Eastwood, written by Jason Hall. Joining me for this podcast review for our 2014 retrospective, I have Dan Baer. Hoorah! Not something I would expect to come out of Dan Baer's mouth, but here we are. <laughs> and also Josh Parham. Hello, hello. Okay, American Sniper. Well... I feel like this is one of those things that when we set off on our 2014 retrospective, I knew it was always there. I knew it was looming. I knew it was coming. Mm-hmm. And I had not seen this movie since 2014. There's been so much online discussion about it since then. And, you know, quite frankly, at the time of its release, this was a, a late breaking Oscar contender that just became a sensation across the country uh, to the tune of an astronomical amount of money i believe it was something like 350 million in the u.s alone with a worldwide of like 550 it was ridiculous for this type of film so this movie got a lot of attention it got some uh last minute oscar nominations and yeah people i'm sure are very curious to know what we think of it so let's get into it shall we 
and right off the heels of the 4th of July as well. What perfect timing. (laughs) All right. So American Sniper, I want to hear first and foremost from Josh Parham. Josh, what do you think of this Clint Eastwood film, American Sniper? So I actually do remember seeing this back in 2014. I remember actually seeing it a couple days after it received all its Oscar nominations because it didn't go wide until after that. And back then I thought it was okay. I didn't hate it, but I wasn't a big fan of it. But I also have not seen it probably since 2014. So I was very eager to come back to it and seeing if maybe I had a new perspective on things. And honestly, I'm kind of in the same spot. I, I don't hate this movie. I think that there are some things that are kind of redeemable about it, but what really sinks it for me is what I find to be just a lot of failed potential in this story. I think that there's a lot of elements here that could be used to tell a very complex and nuanced uh, character study about this very, you know, somewhat interesting figure at the center, but because it's Clint Eastwood, he just takes the path of least resistance in almost every situation, and much of that is just wasted potential to me. And I find it to be more frustrating than anything else that this much more interesting story gets buried underneath a lot of lazy decisions, and therefore I don't walk away with having a lot of appreciation for the film. I I think there are some decent things about it. I think Bradley Cooper is probably by far and away the best thing about it but overall i just find it to be a kind of meh effort that really just doesn't deliver on the promise that it really had hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. Okay. All right. Yeah. I feel very confidently that there's going to be a unifying theme here in a minute. Uh, Let's hear now from Dan Baer. Dan, thoughts on American Sniper? I think this would have been a better movie had it been directed by just about anyone other than Clint Eastwood. Ooh. Okay. I think there is something really interesting in this script and in Bradley Cooper's performance that Clint Eastwood, because of who he is and what he believes, is uniquely unsuited to bring out. So it just remains this sort of like subtext or hum in the background of this movie. And whenever the script really seems to go there, the movie shies away from it and moves on as quickly as possible. And, um, I will happily talk more about this in depth as we go on, but 
Um, suffice it to say that I think the movie starts out really well, hits a peak um, right around the one third to halfway point, and then tapers off really fast at the end yeah i agree i think the ending still to this day is uh very anticlimactic and you know it's funny interesting that you mentioned uh, about clint eastwood's direction because one thing that i was expecting on this uh latest viewing was quite honestly i was expecting to just hate the movie Mm -hmm. and i didn't know if i was going to hate it because of the writing i didn't know if i was going to hate it because of clint eastwood's direction i don't know but i was very shocked and amazed to walk away from this not hating it uh there are certain aspects of it that i feel are weak and there are certain aspects of it that i think are strong i don't think it quite comes together to make this end all be all greatest movie ever made uh, type of status the same way that like it's box office which lead you to believe that it was we'll get into the reasons why it did well at the box office though later on here instead what i kind of came back to is i came back to something that i've like held on to for a while which is when clint eastwood is given a good script <laughs> he typically makes a good movie uh and this script is in my opinion not great it's perfectly okay And what did surprise me was that Clint Eastwood's direction actually elevated the script at times, I thought. The the scenes where this is a thriller are really, really great. Yes, exactly. Those sequences. I am amazed that Clint Eastwood still like has it in him to make genuinely – 10 sequences like the ones that are presented here and a lot of his other movies that you watch don't have sequences that are as captivating and you know you look at like 1517 to paris or the mule even and i don't know what it was necessarily about eastwood's dedication maybe to this man's life and just everything that he was trying to tell with this story. But Eastwood was really on his game direction wise with this movie, with the exception of, and I'm happy to say this early on in the podcast here with the exception of the fake baby. Oh Lord. (laughs) I, so let me be honest. The first time when I saw this movie in 2014 in the theater, um, or actually I think I might've seen it in like January, 2015 with vagaries of deletes or release dates, whatever. But whenever, when I first saw it, I did not even notice the fake baby. And this time it was all I could see. <laughs> it's hard to miss once you <laughs> notice it. Yeah. <laughs> and like that to me is a failure of direction on his part, uh, whether it's because Eastwood w- just works very, very fast does very minimal amount of takes maybe he just thought like i gotta get this shot today do we have a baby no we don't have a baby okay well what do we have but yet for some reason they're able to work out an animatronic hand for the fake baby i just like i don't understand i think they had a cgi hand and then in another scene bradley cooper is literally bouncing the hand with his finger yeah to be honest with you i actually sort of love that there's an obviously fake baby in this movie because to me it does represent Clint Eastwood's kind of mentality as a filmmaker, which is if something isn't a hundred percent right and it's kind of off with the scene, his solution is not to try to figure out a way to make it work or find some other, maybe something else you can shoot or find an actual other baby. No, it's just, 
we got to keep it moving. Find a fake baby. Let's just shoot this and move on because I got a break for lunch soon. And under budget and on time, the Clint Eastwood way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. But that's like his mentality as a filmmaker. It is always like, don't ever dive too deep into what you're actually doing. Just we got to finish yep. it. And sometimes I think depending on the material, it's OK and it works well with it. But with this movie, I feel like when there's so much potential to say so much more with this character and with the situation that he's in, you kind of need somebody to recognize those more nuances within the story. And Eastwood has been able to do that in the past, but he is not doing it with this particular material. And that's actually the first thing I want to dive into here a little bit is we I think we can all agree that the sequences in Iraq themselves um, are the best sequences in the movie, correct? Yes, with one big exception. All right. Let me let you hold on to that for a brief second. Yeah, we'll come back to I that. Will, I will. I will. <laughs> but what, what what's very interesting in interviews that I've um, listened to with Eastwood, with Cooper, is they say that this movie is an anti-war film and they're trying to talk about the toll that all these tours, thousand days in Iraq uh, took on this guy. And they're trying to show his PTSD and also to um, other veterans coming back with these injuries, trying to adjust back to civilian life. And it sucks because that is the heart of the movie. And that is the part of the movie that I feel that they don't hit. It's there. I'm not saying it's not there, but yeah. it doesn't hit as strongly as it should. So this is what I was talking about earlier um, when I said that I think that there's something really interesting going on in the script and in Bradley Cooper's performance that he's not really willing to fully pick up on. And that's that this is when you blow right down to it. This is a serial killer movie. It is a slasher movie, but with a sniper instead of a, a slasher. Interesting. OK, where are you going with this? Because like you were saying, the best scenes of the movie are the scenes in Iraq where he is shooting somebody. OK, yep. And each like there is this one moment um, in the movie specifically that um that made me think of this and I have to find it in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> is it with the kid in the RPG? Um, no, there. So, um, so it is when he is back home and he is, uh, he sees his, uh, daughter in the nursery at the hospital Yes. And she starts crying and no one pays attention to her. And he starts getting really angry about it behind the window. And he like starts yelling at the nurse, like, please attend to my daughter. Please attend to my daughter. And the soundtrack is this. It's a horror music cue. Like this is the cue that you would have in a horror movie that is coming right before you like as you watch the serial killer stand up in the background and slowly move towards the victim like that's that music cue and th th this movie is about someone who was basically groomed from birth to become this legend sniper the legend as they refer to the him legend and every time they talk about him and how great he is at his job, they say he has the most confirmed 
kills. Most kills. It is always about how many people he's killed. But he, but then he kind of brushes that off, though, and he's like, "No, I don't like like to think of it that way. I like to think of like you know the the people I saved, and I was just trying to he protect." Does. He says that, but the but he just says that, and then the movie moves on, or at least yeah. Grip does it, it does like, and, that and, is... and he also doesn't really sound like he believes it well it's justification yeah he's saying it but he's a robot you know like at one point near the end um he says uh you know like i'm willing to meet my creator and answer for every shot i took and i just wish that i could have saved more guys but he says it like it is a line that he's programmed himself to say. And this is very clearly, even though he would deny it if you asked him, a man who has absolutely not dealt with what he's done. Yeah, I, I okay. So, like, I agree with you that he is coming up with all of these justifications. It's like when he has the scene of Sienna Miller and he's telling her, you know, she's asking him, why do you keep going back? And he's like, I got to serve my country. I'm doing it to protect mm-hmm. you. And she's yeah. calling him out. No, that's a lie. Like you've survived this long. You're here now. And I think that there was an interview that Eastwood gave where he talked about like how, you know, the world war two was supposed to be like the war to end all wars. But obviously, as we all know, there were more conflicts after that and other wars and we're still fighting a war. And the war in the Middle East is also something that has no real end in sight because, you know, how the hell do you kill an ideology? And I I do think that there is a bit of commentary there in regards to how the war for this guy never ends, even when he does come back home. And that extends beyond the PTSD. It also is about the way that, like you said, Dan, like he's programmed to believe in this cause uh, from a very young age, like is when his father gives him the speech about sheep, wolf, and the sheep yeah. dog. <laughs> Which is so like, I am dying to know if that's from the book, if that's from his book, or if that is a conceit cooked up for this movie. Like dying to know. Because if his father actually said that, like that is some crazy shit. <laughs> But you know what? There are some defenders out there. There are people who know that they are capable of hurting others, uh, whether it's because mm-hmm. they know self-defense or whatever it is. But they don't do it for malicious for malicious reasons. They're not bad Absolutely. people. Yeah. They're defenders. And that's what the context of that scene is trying to convey. And I think like when when it really boils down to it, I'm not the target demographic for this movie. I don't think a lot of people in our circles are of a target demographic for this movie. And it's a way of life that I wouldn't necessarily live by or teach others to necessarily live by. But I don't think there's anything necessarily like inherently wrong with it. Well, where I find I mean, there's a couple entry points that I think are kind of wrong with it. But I think the major one for me is when it does discuss his PTSD, which I would argue is really supposed to be the center theme of this movie, which, by the way, it only really gets into in the last, like, 20 minutes. Yeah. The big problem, though, is when it does really talk about his PTSD, it seems to not want to link that to the actual violence that he's Mm -hmm. been committing. And it does, like, bring it up for half a second and then brushes it aside as, like, no, he was really, like, more so suffering because he feels guilt about not saving more people and it's like that's a part of it but he also killed over 160 people and killed over 160 Mm. people in a country that was 
illegally invaded. And of course, we don't get any kind of perspective at all from the people of Iraq in, in this story. And I think that because the movie wants to bring up this very important character trait with Kyle, but not really explore the deeper connections related to that, makes it seem like they're just paying lip service to it. And they're not really exploring the true psychology of this guy to the best they can, because they just yeah. sort of want to tell a very easy story that, okay, fine, you satisfied that, but then there's all these other questions that are left unanswered, which would actually make the story so much richer. And that's the thing that I was getting at. Like, I think Eastwood is happy to leave, to take what Kyle says about, well, I was just trying to help save people at face value yeah. And the movie is <laughs> straining against that. <laughs> I think Cooper's performance is straining against that. I don't think yes, the movie I would itself agree. is. Okay, yes, yes, that's fine. I the script and Bradley Cooper's performance want are pushing against that. I, I I find it I find it interesting now that I'm thinking about it and I'm like thinking back on some of those scenes, the, the justification like I was mentioning before, and how it's you're right. It doesn't actually dig deep into what he's done instead the answers that are given by him in regards to his ptsd the justifications the excuses and such are about the violence that has befallen upon him from his enemies or his men yeah and that's what the movie is more interested in exploring than what he's done instead i mean this guy shot women and children at times granted women and children that the movie definitely goes out of its way to show were clearly trying to hurt u.s uh soldiers but i don't know like wouldn't it have been and maybe that's a disservice to the guy to be to say oh wouldn't it have been better if there was more ambiguity there and so on and so forth I, I don't want to come off like I'm trying to be disrespectful here or anything like that. Um, that's no, not my we're, intent. we're actually advocating for more of a yeah. profile of him. We're actually advocating to understand him more because right, exactly doesn't dive that much into him. I think it only scratches the surface of what he was actually going through, and it makes it seem like his actions are actually rather trivial. And that's what's actually, to me, the most disappointing aspect of this film is that I am... I see the potential for this very intriguing, layered character study about a man dealing with all the violence that he has perpetrated in his life and reconciling that with the kind of domestic life he wants to return back to. But the movie just like it recognizes it and then just brushes it aside to the next scene. And it does that yeah. over and over again. And it's so frustrating when you add all that up. Yeah, especially since Bradley Cooper's performance is so good. Hey everyone, sorry to interrupt, but this is a preview of our full review of the 2014 film American Sniper here on the Next Best Picture podcast. In order to get the full review, you will have to head on over to Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you will get the rest of this review and other exclusive podcast content from us as well. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support thank you so much for listening as always and we shall see you all next time
History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.